0: Well, I am so grateful for that artwork, but I, I begged Lynn if she would let me um do some chalk jo- drawing since I'm really gifted at it. I did it since I was a little kid in my driveway. She said, not this week, but next week. <laughs> some anticipation here. Um It will change again next week, but I love how she added all these elements of creation from the, the cattle and the cat and the mice and the birds and the trees and and plants and shifting the focus of Mary and Joseph to creation and the wonder is what we want to talk about the wonder and so I have asked someone who often when I get the opportunity to listen to him communicate about um, science and, and the wonder of this creation. Um, I asked if he would help us out, so I'm going to ask Tom Frankie if he would come up here and uh, take a stool with me as we continue this series, uh, and we do it kind of conversationally. So Tom, thank you for coming. Tom and Kathy, Kathy who's up front here as well, who you can wave, yeah. You are, I know, his great joy, besides this new grandchild that's come, which I'll talk about in a second, but anyway... Um, You've been at Wayzata Free for about 13 years, and uh, what I think is really not just admirable, but I think is such a wonderful thing. You have great teaching gifts, and you have spent years in our Ambassadors class. You and Kathy teaching a group of people who are 85 and older, um, about 20, probably about 30 at at it's high 30 to 40, um, and you did that so faithfully. I'm so grateful for the way that you. Um, use your lives to come around um, um, that generation as we have all generations that we have said are important in what God is doing here um, from the youngest to the oldest. And so next week we'll have the kids up here and they'll do the first part of the program. So um, we're looking forward to that kids program. But so Tom, you are also a proud grandpa and I do have a, a shot of that. I mean, right? right.
1: Seven months today.
0: Yeah. Well, good. And so, and the other thing I should share about Tom is he has taught 28 years at Hopkins High School. Is that correct? Uh, correct, Kevin. Yes. And then, um, you were coaching swimming and then had an opportunity to coach, uh, for the Olympics, the Para-Olympics swimmers and have been involved in a number of the Olympics, um, recently in Tokyo and, and in Rio. If you can show some of those shots, if you would, of, of Tom as he's had opportunity in, in Tokyo. Um, the three swooshes. What is what's that all about?
1: Uh, the the three swooshes are the symbols of the Paralympic organization. Uh, the games instead of the five rings to the Olympics. The Paralympics is a branch of the International Olympic Committee, the USOC, United States Olympic Committee, and that is our symbol. Uh, French. And I don't really know what it means, Kevin. Well, that's it. Okay, well, good. Are. That's the symbol. And then
0: if you show just a few other shots, as you were able to do that and have had that opportunity. And then last year was just crazy with COVID when they did the whole COVID thing. And you have, a, I read about a 10-page story or more on, on how that whole experience was that you shared with the ambassadors as well. Um, I also wanted to just mention, one of the reasons I think Tom is great to have up here is he has a PhD in zoology and has a master's and undergrad work um, that he's done in science and uh, in astronomy, in fact, is what you taught for um, your high sc- as you taught the high schoolers. And uh, I just think you're a great person. to Tell us a little bit about the wonder of creation. But before I do that, I mean, you obviously hit the gene pool jackpot of intellect and brightness, except for one area. <laughs> one area uh, did not get hooked up real well. Be careful where you and drink, it, it's in the choice of your football team. Because there's some crazy shots of when when Tom played for them. No, yeah. <laughs> we have that. Is that is that enough? I don't know. If we have any more? Yeah, I, I don't know who this guy of the is, biggest, but anyway.
1: Packard people that it, in my career. So there, there, we are. Okay. Well. Okay. Well. Me, me and Vince. What's your shirt say, by the way? Uh, Facebook showed this up one day with my name, Dr. Frankie's <clears throat> Observatory, and that was like 15 seconds to click by. Um, I thought I was an impulse buyer. I met one last week because worse than I am. But, uh, this is perfect for today, so I'm wearing it as uh, because it's what I love doing. I love teaching astronomy. Great, and I'm wearing my Christmas socks again. Another Christmas socks. So,
0: so anyway, well, uh, enough of uh, inv- you know uh, this intro stuff. Let me just get right down to business. And you're prepared to talk about um, creation and and Christ coming into this world. This idea of creator. Who comes also then as a recreator? It's a, it's just an incredible concept. But let's begin by um, you mentioned to me when we were preparing a quote by Albert Einstein. Why don't you share that?
1: In Einstein's book in 1936, he said the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that we can comprehend it. Uh, it's incredible. Something as vast as the universe, we have the ability to begin to understand it and how it works. Okay, I'm going to put you on a spot. Help us comprehend it because I think.
0: Comprehending the vastness of the universe is going to be really important for us to understanding that in a moment in time God came and took on
1: flesh. So share with us a little bit about the vastness. Well, vastness is an understatement. Um, so what I do with my students at school is create a scale model. Uh, you might have a model car to give an idea of what the real thing is or you might have a map. And the bottom corner of the map is a little bit of scale where X number of inches equals X number of miles. Um, Because I am a science guy, uh, I am in metrics, so everything I'm going to talk about today is in metrics, so I apologize for that. But we're going to start out with something like the sun. We're going to shrink down the sun to something that we can understand. This is the sun looking through a hydrogen alpha filter. And the sun is (laughs) 1,392,000 kilometers in diameter. We can fit over a million Earths inside, 110 Earths across this object. So it's really, really big. And if I shrink the sun down to something the size of this softball, uh, anal retentive here, 9.7 centimeters in diameter, uh, then how big, if I make this the, the sun, how far away is the Earth? How about if I hold it? How you... far away are we? <laughs> is that a... Where are the planets? Where are the stars in comparison to something as small as a softball? So that's that's what we're going to try to do today. Okay, I'll hold
0: this, and you when you need it, you let me know. All right. Okay. Um, I think you'll need it again. I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, uh, what I... What, it's hot, Kevin. <laughs> it looks hot. It's rubbing off my fingers. Um, okay, I comprehend what you're saying so far. Let's continue on, and, and maybe you can kind of give us more of an idea of of how vast this universe is.
1: Well, let's start out with the Earth. The Earth is where we live. Here's a nice photograph of the Earth. Earth is 12,756 kilometers in diameter, and we're 149,600,000 kilometers away from the sun. For you metrically challenged people, 93 million miles. How big would the Earth be if that's the sun? Earth would be a .9 millimeter dot. I can't even do that with my fingers. And it would be a little over 10 meters away. That's 11 yards. So if I were to walk out to, oh, let's say a little past where my wife is in the front row, that's how far the little tiny dot is that you can't even see compared to the sun. That's the beginning, where we are in relationship to the sun in space. We're a small dot.
0: Okay, I can comprehend this so far. Any, um, do you want to share with us as I, I kind of think of the... The sun here, and you said the Earth's out there, metaphorically, if we were to kind of travel down the block and begin to start looking at our planets. Okay, I know it's a long block. Maybe you can share with us what that's like.
1: Well, You want to start with one, yeah, Jupiter, uh, yeah, the large large. Yeah, let's larger. go to Jupiter. Uh, it's called the Colossus of the solar system. Here's the planet Jupiter on the screen. It's really, really cool. It's about 142,000 kilometers in width which means it's a thousand times bigger than the earth. So therefore, Jupiter is the size of the head of Roosevelt on a dime. But I have to walk 54 meters away to stand where Jupiter would be, so if I have Kevin holding the sun, I'd be at the entryway to the auditorium holding up Roosevelt's dime and saying, here's Jupiter. Don't forget, earth is down here where my wife is, and it's a tiny dot that you can hardly see. That's just the nearest major planet.
0: Okay, so Jupiter, I have a favorite planet, and my favorite planet... Well, let's do... I'd like to do a... um, Let's just see your favorite planet, because I have one. Let me just give you some planets. Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, or Pluto. So raise your hand if you're a Mars fan. Okay, Uh, those of you who are... And I can't... You know, those of you online, please participate. We can't... We (laughs) won't... Whatever, Jupiter. Who who would say Jupiter is is one of your favorite planets? Okay. What about Saturn? Aha! Uh-huh. Well done. Right. That's that's one of mine. <laughs> well done. Anybody a Pluto fan? Oh, we got a Pluto fan. A few of those. Okay. So let's talk about Saturn because I that I'm the interviewer and it's my favorite planet. So Let's, okay. let's talk about Saturn.
1: <laughs> this is planet Saturn, and uh, it's it's seen a little bit different than you will see uh, in typical pictures. Because what we have here, we have Saturn's rings, which you can see, but we have the outer rings. And Saturn is 1.4 billion kilometers, which twice as far away as Pluto is, but a little bit smaller, at least the ball of Saturn is smaller, about the size of 120,000 kilometers across. But what's cool is the rings. If I were to put Saturn between the Earth and the moon, the rings would touch both objects. That's how big the system is. And wow. in this picture here my green laser, there's the sun, that's us, wow. seen from the backside of Saturn for a photograph that made was made by Cassini, that's Saturn, that's, I think that's pretty cool. Okay, so we're getting some oohs and ahs,
0: um, people are actually doing what Einstein said, it's comprehensible, you're helping us in this, Let, let's move to one other one, let's talk about Pluto for a second, and from what I have read, it's
1: not really a planet, is that correct? Okay, well Mike Brown downgraded it to the International Astronomy Union in 2006 and I teach my students we're not going to downgrade the little guy. Oh, so he's... So they all matter. <laughs> all you Pluto and All lovers. planets matter. <laughs> so this is a photograph <laughs> of planet Pluto taken by a New Horizons spacecraft when it went by in 2015 after a nine year trip through space to get there. Pluto is really small, 2300 kilometers in diameter. It's really far. billion kilometers away. That's a long ways to get to this little place. On the scale model, it's a 0.17 millimeter dot. And how far away is Pluto? Earth is where my wife is. Jupiter is at the doorframe. Saturn's on the outside of the building. Pluto's 411 meters away from here. So it's outside the back of the parking lot twice that far. That's our solar system, our planet's Okay. Oh, we're a little dot in the middle of all of that.
0: So this, if you're looking at kind of the, our home, the earth and the planets being the block we live on, metaphorically speaking, we live in a neighborhood. The sun is a part of our neighborhood. What, what is the
1: closest star, you know, besides the sun? Okay, <laughs> next picture it's there. There's a place called Proxima Centauri. Once again, I'll have this little green laser. Uh, there it is, in that little box. This is Alpha Centauri. This is Crux, the Southern Cross. So this is visible only in the Southern Hemisphere. And what's really cool about this idea is that this is the nearest star to us. It's 4.24 light years away. What's a light year? You know, it's how far light goes in a year. Light goes 300,000 kilometers in a second. That wraps around the Earth seven times in a second. It's light from the sun gets here in eight minutes. Light gets out to Pluto in five hours. You want to have fun? Turn on your cell phone and talk to somebody with another cell phone next to you. Light is bounced off a satellite in space and geosynchronous orbit and comes back in a quarter of a second. You can hear the delay. That's how light works. This thing is 4.24 light years away. How do we talk about it in scale? Here's the sun. The next closest star is 1,733 kilometers away. So if I fly out to Frisco and hold up the next softball and yell back to Kevin, here's our nearest star among 200 billion stars in the galaxy, you get an idea that, wow, space is big. Well, what's cool, there's nothing around this star, left, right, up, down, front, back, for 1,700 miles, kilometers, I'm sorry, nothing. Uh, Did I say it right? 700 miles. That's correct. Nothing. It's empty. What do they call it? Outer space. Because
0: it's space. (laughs) Uh, So how's this class doing compared to your Hopkins students so far? They're they're doing all right. (laughs) They're okay. Okay. So, okay. So, again, Earth is our home. Down the block are the planets. Uh, We have a sun. Closest star is Proxima Centauri. Centauri, correct? Centauri. Yep. That's all within our neighborhood, and what is our neighborhood called? Give us a little bit of understanding about the
1: neighborhood. Well, our neighborhood is called the Milky Way Galaxy. Yeah, this is an artist's rendition to give you a little bit of perspective of our galaxy. It's a oh, huge can collection. I go back real quickly, did, did you? I forgot that other slide. Just go, did you point
0: out what the? Did you point that out, or did I missed it? What the one? Southern Cross? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, just want to you make were sure You we were that. looking
1: down. It was. It was I was, back Yes. Here. Okay. Good. I, I, that's the way I'm in I'm in school <laughs> they they just don't pay attention Oh, go on, teach us <laughs> next slide, sorry Sarah. My bad so here's our home here's where we live and we we are in a really cool galaxy because it's a spiral, so it spins it's about a hundred and five. Thousand light years across, but only about 1,500 light years in diameter. So it's a flat disk that spins, and we're spinning really fast, but it takes really long to go around because we're far away. So that little green arrow points to our sun. We're 28, I sorry, 26, <coughs> thousand light years from the middle. My brother-in-law is a pilot for Delta. If he flew his plane from here to the middle, it would take him just about 28. Billion years to get there. Okay, okay. So
0: this is our home, our galaxy. Correct. Yep. It'd be kind of like saying if you live in Plymouth, you have next to you um, Golden Valley. I think that's correct. And or you could say Waizetta, and you know that kind of thing. Minnetonka's over here. What's if that's our neighborhood? It's huge. What's the next neighborhood over? let's kind of say?
1: Okay, well, the next neighborhood, let's call it Minnetonka. In space, is called Andromeda. This is the Andromeda galaxy, which is even bigger than our galaxy. It's 2.65 million light years away. So it's a long ways away. And, by the way, you can go outside at night tonight at 9, look straight up, and you can see the fuzzy little patch that the sky is talking up. The Andromeda galaxy is something that visibly, you can see, The farthest thing out in space that you can see. And so that's our neighbor. Wow. Our nearest neighbor. Yeah, the big thing. Okay. So
0: I'm almost hesitant to ask.
1: Maybe I should ask them.
0: That's like one neighborhood? Are there a bunch of other neighborhoods that we've been able to see or locate?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, this is... uh, (laughs) The Hubble Legacy Project, 16 years worth of photograph of the night sky. And this picture here takes up the amount of sky equal to a full moon held up in the sky. In this photograph, and I don't have the ability to enlarge it here at church, there are 265,000 galaxies like ours in this one picture. And that occupies a spot in the space of the sky equal to a full moon. And there's 12 million of these patches of the sky around us, meaning a 100 billion galaxies. And we are the pinhead. (laughs) You are smaller than a pinhead in comparison to all that. So it's crazy how big space is. Okay, so
0: if that's our universe, and it is so incredibly huge, I'm just going to... Go off script for a second, because some of the readings I've done, I've been playing dumb for everybody here. But I, no, no. I didn't, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, Except no. for the moment <laughs> earlier that just you, you showed us. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, for instance though, there is this theory right now about a multiverse, correct? That they talk about that? Yep. Um, any credence to the idea that this is just a universe and there's all kinds of other universes? Uh, in, what's so, what's so, um What's so
1: unique about our universe? Off script, Kevin. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's something called multiverses and multiple universes because it's an attempt by people who denied the possible existence of God to fill the gap. Yeah, and therefore I don't. You know, faith is something that you choose. I, I, I believe this is God's word. I've taken the step of faith to read it and believe it that God exists. And he reveals himself to me in his word. And he reveals himself to me in what he has made. And that's my God. So the only thing that's bigger than the universe is God. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I rest. So I, I read a whole thing from a secular scientist,
0: mathematically based, all this stuff, and, and went on to try and prove the idea of a multiverse. And then I read others, and, and basically uh, very, very bright scientists say that is just a move to try and... and And at least posit that there's no God. Because they have to do that. So tell us about why you know, if there's uh, the universe, what's bigger than the universe?
1: Uh, God. Okay. So, (laughs) the VeggieTales God is is bigger than the universe. He's bigger than God. So
0: so now we're back on, (laughs) now we're back on script. We're back on script and I'm looking stupid. But, there's not a multiverse. Is posited by people who their faith is belief that there can't be a God, and yet the universe, being so huge, as you just you know the vastness of it, tell us about how in the world when you think about it. Are there other life forms in other places? What's your what's your thought with regard to Earth and as our home?
1: Uh, this is a critical point in my astronomy classes that I teach. Um, there are a lot of things that have to happen for life to exist at all in space. There's a list of things up here, and I'm not going to go through them, um, except for a couple. You have to have a spiral galaxy because they recycle stars. And only when stars are recycled are all the elements that are needed for life created. You have to find a place where you can find carbon in the water. That's essential. Astrobiologists say carbon and water essentials. Then where are we going to find it? You have to have it on a planet. (laughs) Life's not going to exist in a star. So it's going to be on a planet. So the planet has to have a couple of things that people don't really recognize. The magnetic field is essential. Magnetic field deflects the sun's solar wind that would otherwise blow our water and blow our atmosphere clean off like it did to Mars. We need a magnetic field. We need to be able to be at a Goldilocks zone, not too far out, not too close in, circular, not elliptical, you know, not crazy bad. These things are needed. But one of the things that's really cool is we have what's called active plate tectonics here. Venus convulses every 500 million years and it gets a whole new surface. That's not a great place to be when you get a new surface. (laughs) Um, Earth Earth resurfaces itself slowly and the bulk of the carbon is tied up in rock, in limestone. And only when we have an eruption do we release the carbon back into the atmosphere where the plants and the animals can interact with it. So we have a lot of mechanisms here on Earth that are perfect. And the list goes on and on and on. So let's go back to one other one that's on this list. If you are an evolutionist and, and go to the idea that, wow, we've had 3.8 billion years of life on the planet, 50 billion species of life. And how many were intelligent enough to create a device that can broadcast a signal out in space and say, hey, here we are. One. And we look at all of the math. We shouldn't even be here. And therefore it's amazing the only way that we can really account for our existence if they go in the book and they say, well, God made us on this perfect planet where everything was just right for life to exist and for humans to exist. We are in the perfect planet at the perfect place in space for this all to happen. I think that's pretty remarkable. Wow.
0: I, I told them when I get here, just riff like you're in a class. That's amazing, and I think about what you have done uh, for some of us <laughs> has made it comprehensible. Just like Albert Einstein said, the Earth is comprehensible, created by a Creator that allows for us to understand um, the natural mechanisms and all the things that that go into this. There's lots of things that are, are are hard to understand, but one thing is incomprehensible. We think of a Creator who is perfect, who created a perfect place for us, and yet. What we celebrate at Christmas is the fact that this perfect creator creating this perfect place for us, um, returned because we, through our sin and our rebellion allowed for this perfect creation to begin down a track where there's destruction and harm and, and illness and hate and um, poverty and all kinds of things that um, our hearts cry out for. And our Father, our God, our Creator took this huge trek bigger than this whole universe left his stone and became a little baby for us. And I'm, I'm impressed with how incredible that is and so was the um, Apostle John because in the book of John, he begins by saying something that catches the ears of every Jewish person. He says, in the beginning, which is the very few words of Genesis. So every good Jew is going to go, whoa, he's talking about creation. And then he says, in the beginning was the word. Now he catches the the, the attention of every person who is not a Jew, because in that day, the word was the life. Principle. He goes on to say this: this principle, which is the foundation of everything that philosophers and everything believe, is actually a person. And he goes on to say, this word became flesh. The creator became a recreator. So I just want to take a moment and and have um, just ask this question about God becoming a man. Um, psalm eight is a great psalm you just want to comment on, on just that for just a second?
1: I think I'm a if, science teacher. They're, they're, uh, I don't know it's, if you can read that. in front of that. me, but the beginning is pretty awesome. The very first four words. O Lord, our Lord. Yahweh and Elohim. Almighty God, Yahweh, wants your relationship. Elohim is the creative aspect of God. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. Verse 3, when I look at your heavens... Oh yeah, I can't read that. The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in your place, what is man that you're mindful of him? (laughs) Why would you care about us? I mean, all, all that he made. Why? Because he loves us. My God loves me. He loves everyone. And he's going to show us in his word how much he loves us. So that's the beginning, really, of the Christmas so, story. So, if we go to the Christmas story, one of the things that
0: hit me, and I asked you, um, and and it is that that God, the Creator, would come to His creation, wouldn't be born in a room with just a bunch of people, and we, we you know, not even royalty, but he'd be born in in really what would have been a place next right uh, attached to the home, which was where you would bring your animals in. Uh, at night. That was the only place available for Jesus. And around him would truly be animals. And I thought, why would God, this creator, not only come to earth for us, but even for all creation? Why would he have animals around him at his birth? And I was thinking about this, Tom, and as I thought about it, I thought, um, maybe the animals in creation saw who God was in Jesus better than any person. And and as I thought about that, as we were talking, it was in our conversation, I, I thought of this verse, I couldn't remember where it was, I, I, I found it. Isaiah 1, 2 through 3. He says, Listen, O heavens, hear, O earth. He's speaking to all creation. For the Lord Yahweh has spoken, this idea the word becomes such is spoken. He, I tenderly nurtured children and made them Great. But they have rebelled against me. Even, listen to this, even a dumb ox instinctively knows its owner. And the stubborn mule knows the hand that feeds him. But Israel, my people, don't know me. And I thought to myself, even his brightest and best fail to recognize him. And and yet when he comes to creation, he has animals around him because it's just good to be seen and recognized, right? Um, and there were a few people around him, but creation, I think, looked at him with wonder when he entered this earth. Do you want to share anything more about the, the frustration of the earth and what's going on? You know, animals are are looking with wonder because there's a they're waiting for not just Jesus, but for Jesus as a baby, but Jesus to come back.
1: Again, Uh, the the, the chalk drawing behind symbolizes that. Uh, Romans 8 uh, says this, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him was subjected it The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Animals will be set free from death, just like humans will be set free from death. The Redeemer who came into the world to save the world, not just us, the whole world. So creation is longing for the day when they will be set free, just like humans look for the day when we will be set free. A quick moment. I got the news this morning that my neighbor passed away last night. And so here we are, time of mourning for my neighbor. That won't happen when Jesus fulfills his promise. I work with Paralympic swimmers, physically disabled, all kinds of variety of ailments. My mom and dad were board members, original board members of Shepherds' Home for Retarded Children in Union Grove, Wisconsin, for over 50 years. I grew up around that population, what is now described as intellectually disabled. The Redeemer will set all of that free. And the Redeemer came as a baby (laughs) in a manger because God knew what he was doing. And the animals were there looking at us and said, oh, Lord, you've come. And I don't know that animals can talk. <laughs> but what's cool is to think that they see there. And it, it's representative of the fact that Jesus did not come just for people, but for all that God created to redeem it and make it new. And that's what's coming. There will be a new creation. People don't think about that.
0: Um, but there is a creation that will be made completely new. And that's the hope of the child that came, who came to take our sin in order that we might experience life and live in this kingdom which is yet to come. I'm going to ask the team to come forward and we're just, I'm going to ask you to just finish on this note. Just think about, um, there are people who are, you know, like when, um, Taylor said when we were worshiping who are waiting and in that time of waiting and Jesus is with, with us in it. But there's this sense of this witness of Jesus that comes at Christmas. Um, is powerful. You work, like you said, with Paralympic swimmers, people who are living with limitations, who feel the frustration of the effects of sin. Not theirs, but the sin of this world. What are the two things that, you know, I I, I love the fact that you've taught high school. What what do you want people to know? What do you you tell your class?
1: I finish this lesson on the last day of my astronomy class every year with these two thoughts. First of all, all life matters. I'm not trying to have anything that's politically correct or incorrect. It's just a statement of fact that all life matters. My Paralympic athletes, the intellectually disabled, me. All life matters in the eyes of God. If we have this great universe and this tiny planet and people are here, we matter in the eyes of God. But more importantly, you matter. Individually matter. God has put you here on this place for a purpose because you matter to Him. He died for you. He came, He died, He rose again, and the best part, He's coming back someday. The Christmas story is hardly anything without the hope of the future that's yet to come. And so He's coming for you. You matter. The people around you matter. And I tell my students that when you are done and die, you're not gonna leave, you're gonna leave everything behind you. Everything. It won't matter whether your house is big, you have a lot of money, a great car, a trophy spouse, whatever. You take none of that with you. But what you will do is leave behind you a path, a journey of the lives you've touched along the way with whom you have shared your story. This is my story. This is my song. I love the creator i love jesus and merry christmas merry christmas thank you tom i give you that god bless you thanks
0: let's stand together a single come